Well, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Again, my name is Corey, and I'm a student pastor here, and so excited to um, open up God's Word with you um, this morning. Um, I, uh, I was thinking about what to speak on, what to preach on this morning, and, you know, when it's Senior Recognition Sunday, I feel like it's appropriate to give a hype speech, right, to give like a go get them, win one for the Gipper speech, and then... Uh, I was thinking about that, and I, a message inspired by um, a friend of mine named Chad Poe preached this to me once, and it was the story of Hosea. Not a message of go get them, but a message that God's got you. And so that's what I hope we hear this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hosea chapter 1. Um, if you don't have your Bibles and you have it memorized, then just recall this. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. That's a joke. Um, Hosea chapter 1 is where we will be this morning. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or abolish the prophets. I have not come to abolish those things, but to make them complete. What does that mean? To make something complete. We wonder this all the time, right? We wonder like a child in the back seat that says, Are we there yet? We have... A student counting down the hands of the clock of when the school day would be over. We have maybe you and your work day, you're counting down the clock. Maybe you have a child that's going through middle school right now. Maybe for me, it's when my wife is watching an episode of 90 Day Fiance. We think, I think to myself, when will this be over? When will it be made complete? We wonder this all the time. When will it be over? And we see this throughout the Old Testament. It's full of law and prophets. And Jesus says, I'm not here to get rid of those things. He says, I'm actually the completion of those things, of all of them. These are the Bible stories that we learned growing up. My generation was learned these Bible stories by felt people cut out of felt and placed on a felt board. Maybe some of your generation, younger generation, these Bible stories were sung to you by vegetables. But... These Bible stories are all pointing us to the bigger, better story of Jesus. So when Abraham offers up his son Isaac, that is a bigger picture of God offering his son as a sacrifice for us. The story of David and Goliath points to David being the champion, and that is a bigger picture of Jesus being our champion. Jonah being sent to Nineveh as a messenger is a bigger picture, a bigger story of the perfect messenger we have in Jesus Moses and the Exodus is a story that is pointing to the bigger story of Jesus delivering us not just from Egyptian rule, but from sin and death. The Bible is always taking us to Jesus. And so we understand these pictures and images pointing us to to Christ. But what about the odd stories? What about those stories like Hosea? And that's where we come to Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Barai, and in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, let's stop there. God is going to speak through prophets in the Old Testament. And prophets are people that declare one of two things. Normally, they would say, maybe this is what will happen, but more commonly, it's the second thing, and that's where it says, this is the word of the Lord. That's what prophets would say. This is what God has to say to his people. And the Lord speaks to Hosea, but not just using his mouth, but in a really 
peculiar way. God says, verse 2, The Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom in the land that commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Maybe your version would say the word promiscuity, where the ESV says the word whoredom, very strong language. I don't know what your love story is. Maybe your high school sweethearts. Um, maybe some of these seniors on stage are looking to get their ring by spring, maybe in four years. My wife and I met uh, through mutual friends at an engagement party, but imagine being around at a dinner table with a bunch of couples. Well, <laughs> how did you guys meet? Oh, well, we met in high school. We were, had chemistry class together, and she helped me with my homework. How did you guys meet? Oh, well, we both worked at Great American Cookie, and he was really good at the icing down at the Galleria. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Oh, we met at Bryant Denny. He was painted up, and he knew every word to Dixieland Delight. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Oh, well, we met at the corner. He was shirtless and throwing toilet paper over trees. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Oh, my wife's a prostitute. Can you imagine... This story, this is a terrible story. Why would God give anyone this story? And he tells us why. Verse 2, the Lord said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. He tells us that. And the nation of Israel, they claim to love me, yet they take me for granted. They say that they belong to me, but in their actual actions, they do not do any way declare that they belong to me. Hosea, you're going to tell my bigger and better story. Verse 3. So he went and took Gomer. Problem. Number one. Okay. Her name is Gomer. (laughs) Problem number one. Problem number two. She is a lady of ill repute. She is a prostitute. And then it says in verse 3, so he went and took her, and everything seemed to be going fine in their prophet prostitute cottage. And then it says, and she conceived and bore him a son. When you have children, there's something very important that takes place. My wife and I don't have any children yet, but if the Lord would see fit, I know that it is going to be a hard conversation of what to name our children. Um, I think that's why the Lord gives you nine months to have these conversations of what to name your baby. And so I was, I'm, I'm the middle child. I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And uh, I was asking my mother, I said, Mom, like, how did you come up with our names? And so my older brother's name is Chad Barkley. He is not Chadwick. It's just Chad. And uh, it's a fa- Barkley is a family name. And according to Google, Chad means battle warrior. I was like, wow, that's powerful, that's impactful. Mom, how did, why did you name Chad Chad? And she goes, oh, well, honestly, I uh, uh, was watching a soap opera, and there was a cute doctor named Chad on it. <laughs> oh, okay, so that's how we got Chad. Um, my name is Corey Lynn, uh, something I've had to spell my whole life, C-O-R-E-Y. I've been called Cody, Covey, Corgi, all, the, all those things. Um, but Lynn, my middle name is a family name. And so my family, there's been four Harolds. My dad's name is Harold Lynn. And my mother said, the Harold stops here. We're not doing Harold anymore. 
And so I asked my mom, you know, where she got that. Corey means God's peace. And that sounds awesome, but I said, where did you come up with the name Corey? And she said it was the baby book popular in the 80s. <laughs> and so that's why we got Corey. We just found it in the book. And then my younger brother's name is Caleb Joel. He got double biblical because we think he needed the most grace. <laughs> and so the name Caleb, my younger brother, means wholehearted. And if you know my younger brother, that is exactly him. And he has the coolest story, I guess, where my parents were thinking of a name and couldn't think of a name for him. And they were sitting, listening to a sermon, and the, Caleb, the preacher spoke on Caleb and Joshua. And we already had a cousin, Josh. And so she said, hey, she wrote on the bulletin, like, Caleb to my dad? And like, they said, yeah, Caleb. And so coming up with names is a big deal, but that's not a, pro- that's not a problem for Hosea because God gives him names. Hosea doesn't have to deal with that because God gives him these names, and these names are difficult, very difficult. He says, name baby number one, Jezreel. That's terrible. What does it mean? In the, in the original language, it means no foundation or uprooted. Hosea, name him uprooted because I will no longer be the foundation for Israel. I've always been that, but I won't be that anymore. And the Bible says that after baby number one, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And we have to be careful here of what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say that she bore him a daughter. Baby number two is not Hosea's. She has returned to her old life, her hard, difficult life, because Gomer has not realized the transformation that comes when you're in a covenant relationship like marriage. Baby number two says, name her no mercy, because I will no longer have mercy on the nation of Israel. I have been their merciful God, but I will no longer be that. In Hebrew, the name is the same word for no mercy, is the same word for womb, which means the safe space. God has always been the safe space for the nation of Israel, always. And he says, I will no longer be their safe space. And you might say, Corey, are you reading into this a little bit? Like, how do we know that baby number two is not Hosea's? And the truth is, is that baby number three is not Hosea's either. It says, after weaning no mercy, she gave birth to another baby. And God said, name him not mine. Because Israel, you are no longer my people and I am no longer your God. Think about what that means for Hosea for just a second. Every time he looks at these babies, the baby that his wife would claim to belong to him, he'll see a baby that she says is yours, yet looks nothing like him. Because every time God looks at the nation of Israel, they claim to be his, but God says they look nothing like me. Church, let's be honest. If I were to put a giant spiritual mirror up on this stage, how many of us would claim to be God, but yet our lives look nothing like him? These are horrific names, difficult names, hard names to hear. The nation of Israel has no identity, and they do what, you ha- what everyone does when they have no identity. They run. 
We see this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. They run in every direction, and to which every end is a dead end. And there is no way they can go. And they do that constantly, and they run and they run until eventually they collapse and are exhausted. So finally, God will deal with the sins of the people. Finally, God will crush them for their unrighteousness. Finally, God will put an end to this nation. There was a time a couple years ago, right when I first got married, and I was mowing my lawn. Classic, I got my headphones in, I'm rocking, I'm jamming, I'm living the life. I'm, I'm almost done, looking forward to my Gatorade in the fridge. And as I'm going, I'm passing by one of the trees in my front yard, and I see a root, and the root is like, it's dark and it's black. And I'm pushing and I'm rolling, and then I see the root slither backwards. And I freeze, immediately freeze. And then I take my headphones off, and I hear... It is a timber rattlesnake at the base of this tree. And so then I think of multiple options. How do I deal with the problem? Okay, do I just like crank up my mower again and <laughs> sling snake guts everywhere? Do I? But what I did was this. I, I, I stopped and I backed away slowly and I got the flathead shovel. And as that snake coiled up, I stopped. And just with all my might, I mean, I mean who, know, who knows what my neighbors thought, but I was just boom, boom, like getting after it. And I killed the, I killed the snake, and I put it, laid it out, and I mean, it was huge. And then, then I researched it and said, okay, yeah, that was a rattlesnake. It had seven rattles on its tail. I brought Missy out, and I said, look what I just killed. <laughs> and so... I had to deal with a problem, and I thought I dealt with a problem correctly, right? Until I posted it on our Facebook page, our neighborhood Facebook page. And this is where kids were playing, and I said, hey, everybody, be on the lookout. We live near woods. And I said, there is, I just killed this rattlesnake. Comment number one, that's terrible. Those are the good ones that kill rats. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. The only good snake is a dead snake. Hello. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Amen. And so... I had to deal with the problem, and it comes time now for God to deal with the problem in the, of the nation of Israel. He has to deal with the problem. And so it's come to the point of the story where God will deal. Will he go get the shovel? Will he go get the sledgehammer or run over them with the mower? And we see this in chapter 2, verse 14. It says, therefore, behold, I will... Condemn? No. Punish? No. Therefore, I will destroy? No. It says, behold, therefore, behold, I will allure her. That's a perfume word. I will persuade her. I will love her. I will love her so much that she can't do anything but run back to me. That is who our God is. His love for us meets us in our exhaustion. Those are words we use in relationships. You know how relationships work, right? My wife and I, we met I, at, an, at a party. I saw her from afar, found her to be lovely. She said yes to go on a date with me. 
and maybe it's because of my extreme muscles or her love for facial hair, but she found something attractive in me. And I want you to be clear. I want you to see that in, in normal relationships, people find something attractive or desirable in the other person. But that is not what is happening here in the Bible with God. God does not see anything about us where he would say, if I just had that one, I would be much better God. He doesn't do that. He loves us to himself in the most indescribable, agape, unconditional love kind of way. So what does God do? What does God say? Verse 15, he says, and there I will give her vineyards. That's Bible romance. Give her grapes. Give her welches. And make the valley of a core a door of hope. That word a core in the original language means trouble. God has said to the nation of Israel that has ran to exhaustion, I'm going to meet you in the valley of trouble. And this is key. It's, he's not saying, nation of Israel, I, I want you to fix yourself up first. I'm not waiting on you to f- fix yourself up. I'm not waiting you to get to the other side. I'm not waiting you for you to pick yourself up. I'm not holding my breath for you to love me in the right way. I'm not waiting for you to leave your trouble behind. I'm meeting you in the middle of it. That's what God says. Because that is who God is. He meets us in the middle of our trouble, and he is the door of hope for us and eventually through us. Have you met that God? The real Jesus. That changes everything. Hosea goes on to say nice things about God and Israel, but in verse 21 we see God has not forgotten about those children with awful names. Verse 21 it says, And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel. So what is he going to say to Jezreel? Remember, that name means uprooted or no foundation. Verse 23, and I will sow her for myself in the land. I'm going to give you foundation because I've met you in the valley of trouble and to no mercy. He says, and I will have mercy on no mercy. I was not your safe space, but In your trouble, I will be that for you again. And to not mine, to not my people, verse 23 again. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. God always renewing, always renaming, always changing us. God meets us in our trouble when we are exhausted and collapsed and we see our need for God. But what about Hosea? What is Hosea thinking in all this? Look in chapter 3, verse 1. And he said to me, and the Lord said to me, go again. Go again? Why? I don't want to go again. I want nothing to do with her. Go again. Why would I do that? God gives us the why. Why? And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of of raisins. They're not even eating the good little Debbies. Go again. Not one of us would want to go again. 
That is a terrible story. But Hosea, remember, is telling a much bigger and better story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the biblical layout of a city, but typically where the prophets hung out and where the prostitutes hung out were not in the same place. And and so we see Hosea, he cloaks up and he goes out of sheer obedience. And maybe that's the message for you this morning that you need to hear this morning is that our faith is dry, but we are called to be obedient even when it doesn't feel right. Isn't that when it doesn't feel like we should? So if you put yourself in the story, think about what the people would be saying. Like, can you believe he's going again? Those kids don't even look like him. And Hosea, he goes and he goes to where he knows his wife is. And as he goes, you can see, you can picture Hosea. As he pushes through the crowd, he sees his wife standing on the auction block. And he goes and takes her hand. And he's stopped by the man in charge. And Hosea is like, that's my wife. And so you can have that image and you can have that picture in your head, but that is where we see Jesus in the story. Every one of us is a product of creation. We are his. He made you. He knows everything about you. You are his. Very much like Gomer, we choose sin. We choose the auction block to run, finding our identity in other places. We are locked in our sin, and that's where Gomer is. And Hosea has to process what happens next because The man that just stopped him looks at Hosea and says, Hosea, in order for her to go home with you, you're going to have to buy her. And Hosea's response in four words is the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 2. So I bought her. Because of our sin, a purchase has to be made. This is where we see Jesus. He is the purchaser on the cross for our sins. Gomer's identity and worth and her value are not determined by her her choices. It is determined by the length in which her groom would go to get her. Do you see that, church? The length in which Jesus would go to redeem you is to the cross. That is where our identity is found. That is where our value and our worth is found is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have done. And so to take this story to its conclusion, you have to ask yourself, what did Hosea buy her with? And the the going rate for a prostitute in biblical times was 30 pieces of silver, which may sound familiar, and that was the same price that Judas sold out Jesus for. But... Hosea doesn't have that. He has some silver and he's got some wheat. And I don't know if you know this, but if you're rolling in wheat, you're not rolling very deep, okay? And so what was the purpose for the wheat that he traded? And the wheat that Hosea uses, it says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, a homer 
and a lech of barley. And so this would have been the, the food, his family's source of nutrition that he would have fed his children with, his kids. And so at great cost to his children, he buys her back, just as our Heavenly Father would give up the greatest cost in his son to redeem us. This is Jesus in your place. This is the gospel. This is the story of Hosea and Gomer. And we've talked a lot about names. We've talked about terrible names like Jezreel and No Mercy and Not Mine. But we have to ask, we haven't talked about the name of Hosea. The name Hosea means God saves. And that terrible name Gomer, it means completely. So Westwood, would we be a church this morning that lives in a way where we believe that God saves completely. Amen.